Well, good morning, Faith Family. It's great to see you. I want to say hello to those in Lakeville as well and those in our venue. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, we're continuing in our series that we were in uh, even back in December called The Search. And we're going to pick back up there this morning in just a moment. While you're turning there, a quick announcement, very important. I want to ask for your prayers tomorrow night at 6.30. Tomorrow night at 6.30, uh, the plans for our expansion here at the Burnsville campus uh, will be at a planning commission meeting uh, at the city of Burnsville. And so if you could just pray for that meeting that all will go well. Uh, if you live in Burnsville, you're welcome to come to that meeting uh, at City Hall, 6.30. If not, just would you as a faith family just pray for that, that the, the plans that we feel like the Lord has laid on our heart would go smoothly and be able to, uh, to move forward. So just felt like it was important that we have all of our faith family informed of that and praying for that tomorrow evening. Well, this morning, again, we're picking back up in our series called The Search. Uh, if you're new with us, we're so glad that you're here. And, and what we've been doing is a series that's been unbelievable relevant because the book in the Old Testament of Ecclesiastes gives us a real life example of somebody who's searching for meaning, who's pursuing some of the very same things that you and I pursue to try to make sense out of life. Have you ever had a season in life where you're like, this just doesn't make sense, and you look to things to try to provide meaning for what you were facing. Well, well, that's what our good buddy in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Koheleth. I'm so proud of you. You remember, yay. Koheleth is the Hebrew name that gets translated in the book, The Preacher. And he's been searching after things like knowledge, pleasure, success, work, love, on and on and on. Good things, great things. But we have a tendency to then make them ultimate things, and the problem is they always let us down. Because good things that are temporary things can't provide the satisfaction our soul is longing for. It doesn't make them bad, it just means we can't live for them. And once again, we're going to find Koela searching after something else to try to provide meaning in life. And we find it in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And if you would please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Let's look at what he's after now. Ecclesiastes 5. Pick up at verse 10. Where he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity, that is, it's meaningless. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats a little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches are kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but has nothing in his hand. And he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. 
And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? This is God's Word. Would you please pray for me and with me now as we ask God to teach us. Father, thank you for the privilege to be here to gather together, uh, to once again be under your Word. It is the authority, not me. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and teach us it may not always be a message we want to hear, but, but we need truth, particularly when we're on a path of lies. So Holy Spirit, come open our eyes to see where meaning really is found. Help many who are in this place, in this culture, who are searching for meaning, find it today in the place that it can only be found, in the person it can only be found in. And His name is Jesus. And we ask it in his name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was just another September evening for Alex. But this 70-year-old mechanic from Illinois was about to have his life radically changed. He's driving home from work like he always did. Stops at the convenience store that he always stopped at. Plop down $5 for a lotto ticket and drove home to see the White Sox game. After the game, two White Sox fans, all right. In the world. All right. Um, anyways, anyways. After the game, after the game, he flips it over to the news because he wants to hear the evening's lotto numbers, and he kind of jots them down on a slip of paper and casually throws them on the coffee table. He doesn't really look at it because his wife always liked to check it when she got home. It wasn't long after his wife returns from playing bingo at church. She's all mad because for the second week in a row, she was one number short from bingo. She plops down in the couch beside Alex and picks up the ticket, picks up the piece of paper with the numbers and begins to compare. First one was a match. The second one, a match. The third and the fourth, a match. And then the fifth one... A match followed by a thank you, Jesus, so loud that the neighbors could have heard it. And a week later, Alex and his wife were presented with an oversized check for $64 million. Oh, don't worry, they took the lump sum, and after taxes, they only got 18.5, all right? Alex knew that his life was going to change after winning the lotto, but he didn't know how it was going to change. I mean, honestly, all he'd ever wanted was to end the blue-collar struggle that he'd known all his life. All he really wanted was contentment, and he thought now he'd be able to find it. But what developed in his life by his very own admission was, quote, an out-of-nowhere appetite for more. Close quote. You see, he and his wife didn't buy a dream home. They bought eight. Two for him, two for her, and one for each of their four children. 
One of his had a chapel, a basement theater with stadium seating, a 1934 Mercedes, a 1922 Model T, and all kinds of antique cars. But what Alex soon discovered was the newfound wealth he had just received wasn't a joy. It was a burden. You see, he was interviewed by Chicago Magazine several years after he won the lottery, and here's what he said. So interesting. Quote, when you win it, you say, thank you, God, because you're blessed. But you're not blessed. You're cursed. Money is not happiness, it's a curse. People don't leave you alone. Charities come from every direction. The government taxes the heck out of you. I don't like it. Close quote. It's probably why he sold everything. Every bit of it. Shortly after, he lost his wife due to complications with pneumonia. I mean, what good are all those houses when they're empty? Hear me, faith family. When I read that story, I thought, Alex is not unlike me. Alex is not unlike you. Alex is not unlike so many people in our culture, namely people who think that money will solve our problems. That money will answer life's questions. That money will bring meaning, the very meaning we so desperately desire. Oh, listen, you've got to hear my heart this morning. What I'm trying to say to you is Alex is nothing more than the product of a culture that has told us over and over and over and over again that money will make sense out of your life. And we're told this from all different directions. The board games that we play, I mean, the winner is the one who accumulates the most. Or the game shows that we watch on TV, who wants to be a millionaire? Or the wheel of what? Fortune. Or popular TV shows like Shark Tank. And I'm not upset at any of those. I'm just saying this is the message of the culture. It's why you have state lotteries. It's why you have casinos. Not that we would know anything about that in Minnesota, right? The, the point is simply this. The culture is constantly telling you money equals meaning. Money's not a bad thing. Money's a good thing. The problem is money becomes an ultimate thing and we buy into the lie. We buy into the lie that it will make sense out of life. Alex was convinced. He was absolutely convinced that because he won the lotto that now life would make sense. But it didn't. It didn't at all. And that is exactly what Koheleth is going to tell us today in Ecclesiastes 4 and 5. And, and before you think, well, who is he to tell me whether or not money can make sense out of life? Well, let me remind you of his resume. Look back at Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and beginning at verse 4. 
He said, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees, made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I had male and female slaves. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings. Everybody right here, you you put all of our incomes together, Coelith makes that look like a sixth grader's allowance. He is as rich as you could possibly be. Nobody even has as much as him any time before in Jerusalem. The wealth of kings, he says. And here's the point. He's not bragging. He's, trying to not, he's not trying to make you feel bad. He's simply, simply trying to say this. I am qualified as to know whether or not money can make sense out of life. Now, you have to hear me. Lakeville, Venue, everybody, listen. Coelith is not talking about whether or not money is good or bad. Coelith is not saying, if you have money, you should feel guilty. He's talking specifically about this. And if you don't understand this, you will misunderstand the rest of this sermon. He is simply saying, can money provide meaning? Do you understand that? Can money ultimately satisfy you? And he should know whether or not that would make sense out of life because he's kind of got a lot of it. And he will give you six reasons why money can't buy meaning. As good as it is, as fine as it is, it can't buy meaning in your life for these six reasons. And I'll try to go quickly. Number one, and this is wisdom literature. So just be honest about the realities. Here's what he says, is that the pursuit of money for meaning is often based on envy. It's often based on envy. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. We're going to work quickly through the text here. It says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. You see, here's the reality. For a lot of people, the pursuit of money is nothing more than the desire to either have what somebody else has or have more than what somebody else has. It's like, well, they get to go on those kinds of vacations. I want to be able to go on those kinds of vacations. My parents had that kind of lifestyle. I want to be able to have that kind of lifestyle. She has that kind of freedom in life. I want to be able to have that kind of freedom in life. But the problem is, is even if you keep up with the Joneses, there's always the Smiths. You see? Or the Larsons. Or whatever. I'm just kidding. Right? There's always that. There's always a Larson somewhere in Minnesota, right? Uh, there's always that desire of, i got to keep up with them. The problem is, is you never get there. Because the, 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 the core of it often is envy. Number two, reason why money can't buy you meaning, even though it's not a bad or a good thing, it's just a thing, but if it's an ultimate thing, it won't work because it won't help the lonely. It won't help the lonely. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil. And notice this, his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is vanity and an unhappy business. Now, verse 9, familiar verses. Two are better than one 
because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who falls when he falls and has no other to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. How many of you have heard those verses before, right? Those are pretty famous verses in Ecclesiastes. Often you hear them at either weddings, right? Some of you may have had that in your wedding. And I apologize for what I'm about to say, all right? Uh, or you've heard them in, as proof text for accountability partners, right? You need to have an accountability partners because two is better than one, okay? Sweet verses at a wedding because two is better than one, right? But that's, sorry to burst your little bubble, not the point of the text. Here's what Coelith is saying. He's saying this. There was a man whose eyes were set on riches, verse 8. But the problem is, he didn't have anybody. And so he never stopped to ask, why am I toiling for all of this? That's why two is better than one. Here's his point. Everybody listen. Relationships are more important than money. Possessions are not more important than people. You see, there's not enough money in the world that can make you feel um, comfortable at night cuddling up next to it, all right? It can't cure the loneliness. It's what Alex was saying when he sold everything. What good are all these houses if they're empty? Do you realize the irony that you can work so hard to provide for your family that you actually lose your family? And there's not enough money in the world when that happens to feel to fill the void in your life. Money can't fill the void of loneliness. There's not enough money that can do that. Number three, why money can't buy meaning. It's a good thing, but it can't provide meaning in life because it might make you more greedy. Right? Look at chapter 5, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10 He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is vanity. Notice, when goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? In other words, you see what he's saying there? When the goods increase, what also increases? The people that want to eat the goods. That's just wisdom literature way of saying, when your income goes up, guess what else goes up? Your spending. If you're greedy with a little, you're going to be greedy with a lot. Alex is the perfect example. He thought he'd be content. What he got was what? An out-of-nowhere appetite for more. Winning the lottery didn't solve that in his heart. In fact, ESPN did a fascinating documentary called Broke. Right, you can Google it or, or, or search that and watch the documentary. And what they document is this. 60% of NBA players and 78% of NFL players within two years of retiring from the game are either bankrupt or broke. 
or under so much financial stress that it absolutely is ruining their life. My son sat on the front row last night with this sermon, and he heard that, remembered so much more out of the sermon than I did, right? And, and I got to have a teaching opportunity at home. What they said as a result of this documentary was the competitive nature that carried them to victory on the field brought them to ruins off the field. Don't you understand? Money is not going to solve the greed issue. If you want more now, you'll want more then. That's the point. And not only if it happens in you, but it happens in other people. Alex, our lead story, our introduction said that when news got out that he won the lottery, he got letters from strangers, relatives he didn't even know were relatives and wasn't quite sure that they were. And even his best friends, his best friends said, if you want me to still be your friend, I want cash gifts every year. I know. Find out who your friends are, right? See, when goods increase, so do those who eat them. And money can't provide meaning because it won't solve that problem. Number four, why money can, it's a good thing, no problem with having it, but if it becomes the ultimate thing, what gives meaning in life, it won't work because it will, it can bring more anxiety. It can bring more anxiety. Pick up at verse 12 of chapter 5. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats a little or much, but the full stomach of the rich here will not let him sleep. Will not let him sleep. That is, he's, he's anxious, he's worried. Here's what Coelth is saying. Uh, money will solve certain anxieties, but it's also going to create others. And so you tend to either be worried that you'll get enough or worried that you won't lose what you have. A couple years ago, there was a famous uh, traveler's insurance commercial about a dog. And this dog was just constantly dreaming of this bone that he wanted. You know, it's all he thought about. And he finally gets the bone. And then he becomes worried that somebody else, like some other dog, is going to take the bone. So he hides it under the rug. And he thinks, whoo it'll be safe there. But he's still worried about it. What if somebody finds it? So he goes out in the backyard and he, he buries it in the yard. And then he thinks, but what if somebody finds it there? So he digs it back up and he takes it to the bank and he puts it in a safety deposit box and he thinks oh but what if somebody finds it there and so he just buys an insurance policy so he knows it'll be safe right <laughs> as though insurance will guarantee it right but the idea there is he was con the one thing he wanted he finally got and then he was constantly worried about it will it be taken away Proverbs tells us this, Proverbs 23, verse 4, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. If you have it, fine. But don't weary, don't be anxious for it. Cease from your consideration of it. But when you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle. It flies towards the heaven. Money's not a bad thing, but it won't solve your anxieties. It will just create different ones. Number five, money's a fine thing. There's nothing wrong with money, but it cannot provide meaning in your life because, number five, it won't prevent tragedy. Look at verse 13 of chapter five. 
This is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. That is, he hoards it all. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. That is, he loses it all. We don't know how. Just something happened and he lost it. And he is a father of a son, but has nothing in his hand. That is, and in the ancient Near East, this is a big deal. He has no inheritance to leave his son. So what Coelith is saying is, here's a guy who's like so protective of everything. He keeps it. He hoards it. Everything's secure. And then for some reason, it's gone. That is, all the money that he had couldn't stop the tragedy from happening. Can you think of something that could happen in life that could make money go away? Stock market crash? Theft? Uh, uh, Heaven forbid a, a, a disease whereby you would need ongoing treatment that would just suck all the money out of your savings? The point is, all the money in the world can't prevent tragedy, much less a tragedy that may take that money away. Just ask an Israeli woman, true story, uh, a daughter who decided that she would buy her mom a new mattress. And she wanted to surprise her mom by having the new mattress delivered and her old one thrown out. You're ahead of me. Stop. All right? But what the daughter didn't realize is that her mom had been storing away money over years and years and years. And when she threw away that mattress, she had just thrown away almost $1 million. I know, right? Who puts a million dollars in their mattress, right? But even there, it wasn't safe. All we're doing is being wise. We're being honest. We're not, we're not making a comment about money we're, in the sense of it's good or bad. We're just simply saying, if you're living for this, if this is how you try to find meaning, you are on the road to vanity. And here's the last reason. As if those weren't enough, here's why it can't provide meaning. Because it won't keep you from mortality. Verse 15. And he came from his mother's womb. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and he shall take nothing for his toll that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? What's he saying? He's saying this. uh, Money can buy your way out of a lot of situations. But it ain't going to buy you out of death. Here's reality. Whether you want to hear it or not. You were born penniless. And you're going to die penniless. As you came, so shall you go. And there's not enough money in the world to keep that day from coming. So you're going to live for that? That's why I love Ecclesiastes. You're like, ugh. The, 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 the chapter 12 says these words are like nails. They grind at us, but they're true. It's not a bad thing, but it sure ain't an ultimate thing. Because if you make this an ultimate thing, you will experience vanity. You will. Coelith looks at all of his possessions, everything that he has gained, and he ends up concluding this. What have I become? 
my sweetest friend. Everyone I know goes away in the year, and you could have it all. My empire of dirt, I will let you down. You see, Faith Family, if you don't want to take Coelho's word for it, just take one of the greatest musicians who's ever lived, Johnny Cash, who looks back over his historic life in country music, and what does he call it? An empire of dirt. It's not that it's bad. It just didn't fulfill him. It just didn't fulfill him. The problem is, faith family, is most of us don't think this applies to us. I've never had somebody come to me and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with a sin. I'm struggling with greed. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever said, Pastor, pray, pray for me. I spent so much money on myself recently. I just feel bad about it. Nobody's ever done that. Why? Because we don't think this is our problem. Please hear my heart just for these next moments. The problem with greed is it's sneaky. It's very, very sneaky. And, and it, can, it can come into your life in such a way that you don't even notice it. It, be, it can become so much a part of a culture that you don't even... Like it becomes normal. And you're calling normal what's not normal in the economy of God. Think of it this way. There are some obvious sins, right? Like murder. You know if you pulled the trigger, right? Uh, or adultery, I mean, nobody's sitting there like, wait a minute, you're not my wife, right? No, nobody's, nobody's saying that. Like, you know what's happening there or, or lying. Like, you know what you just said wasn't true. There are some sins that are very obvious sins, but greed is not one of them. It, it's very sneaky and it comes in and before long, we're living for something other than God. We're looking to another provider rather than God. And it may be that we love money, like we start daydreaming about it. We're always thinking about more ways to make it. We have a list of desired possessions. Shopping becomes therapeutic. You're devastated. I mean devastated when you realize you can't afford something. Or if it's not loving money, it's you love what money can provide for you. Like it can buy you a boat. And a truck to pull it. And a Yeti 110 iced down with some silver bullets, right? The theology of country music, right? I mean, it's not just money. It's what money provides. And before long, and it's so sneaky, it sneaks in. And you begin to love that thing 
rather than the one who really provided that thing. You love the gift rather than the giver of that gift. Or or you trust it more than you trust God. Uh, For instance, on our currency, the phrase, in God we trust, is probably our culture's biggest irony. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. I'm not being critical. I'm being honest. Because our culture doesn't trust in God. Our culture trusts in money. Like If we wanted to be accurate, we'd write on the dollar bill, in this we trust. Because we call it securities. I feel secure, not in my heavenly Father. I feel secure in what I have. And it's so sneaky. Like you didn't intend to end up there. You didn't intend to go down that road. But it was so sneaky that before long it became normal and you don't even realize it's your God. And that's why you've got to be very, very cautious and intentional as to look at your life and your heart. If it's not love, if it's not trust, it may be service too. The Bible even says you can't serve God and money. That is, it is possible to serve money. By that, it begins to affect your behaviors and your decisions. You're worried about it. Relationships are impacted based on money. You choose a job based on salary and not family. You fall for a get-rich-quick scheme. You're angry over an issue of inheritance. Like Your emotions and your decisions become impacted over that. And that's a sign that you are serving it, rather it's serving you to the glory of God. I'm just telling you, it's very, very sneaky. And you and I need to be very cautious that we don't assume it applies to somebody else. And because it's so sneaky, that's why it's so serious. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, who are the unrighteous? The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves. Now notice this phrase. Nor the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. All eyes right here. Please, please, please. Listen. I love you. I'm trying to shepherd you in the Word. I'm not trying to ask what's comfortable. I'm not trying to ask what's culturally acceptable. I'm trying to ask what does the Word of God say. And the Word of God does not say, oh, greed, that's not that big of a deal. The Word of God says the greedy won't inherit the kingdom of God because they're not living for the kingdom of God. So you need to be very quick, and I need to be very quick not to dismiss what Coelith is saying. Because it could be we're looking to money to be our provider of meaning more than we realize. And you say, well, then what's the advice? If if money can't provide meaning, it's not that it's a bad thing, it just can't, it's not an ultimate thing, it can't provide meaning, then what's the advice? And Coelith would say, oh, I'm glad you came today. I will gladly give you some advice. And what Coelith would say is this is the best you can do. So here is a little segment I like to call Coelith's Financial Advice. All right, Here's what he would say you should do with your money, in case you're curious. Look at uh, chapter 5 and verse 18. 
Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is this. So here's my advice. Eat and drink and find enjoyment in the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power, enjoy them and accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. This is the best you can do. This is what God's gift to you is. Enjoy your money while you can, because there's no guarantee God will let you keep it tomorrow. Can you imagine if we just ended the sermon right there and just said, <laughs> let's go home, right? And that's his advice. I mean, because there's no guarantees, like money can't keep you from tragedy. What if tragedy happens tomorrow and you lose it all? So the best you can do is enjoy today. Enjoy the now. And chapter 4, verse 9, 2 is better than 1. So enjoy your wealth with someone if you can. That's the best you can do. Now go home. Don't go home, right? But Quelth would say, that's my advice to you. Aren't you glad that the gospel gives us a better answer than that? And can I just tell you, like, we got to have an answer for this. Because as I've been telling you week after week, everybody's asking this. Can money provide meaning? And the answer is, unequivocally, no, it cannot. But then is the right application, so you better just live for now? Because that's what everybody's doing. Look at Luke 12, and we end here. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is going to say the exact same thing. I love it. Exact same thing that Coeleth does. He's going to make the exact point, but then he's going to give you a different application, and it makes all the difference in the world. Look at Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, my brother, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So he's upset over an inheritance issue. And he said to him, Man, who made me the judge or arbitrator over you? He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of of his possessions. Everybody right here. You got a guy who's putting money over relationships. Have you heard that before? Yeah, Ecclesiastes 4. Two is better than one. What I want is my money. I don't care about my brother. I want it to be fair. And Jesus discerns his heart and he gives him the conclusion Ecclesiastes gives us, which is this. Money can't provide meaning, buddy. Your life isn't the sum total of what you have possessions is not going to give you what your heart really wants. In fact, let me tell you a story about it. Verse 16. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So he's had a great year. And he thought to himself, I know what I'll do for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, what I'll do is I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Uh Oh, relax, eat, drink and be merry. Where have you heard that before? In other words, you've got somebody with the wrong provider. His security's in his stuff. 
He has the wrong perspective. He's only thinking about how he can enjoy all of his stuff for the now. And his perspective is, I've got a few years, but I'm not worried about beyond that. I'll just enjoy all that I've been given, and I will eat, drink, and be merry. An exact quote from Ecclesiastes. And now the shocker. I mean, the people in the crowd are like, I see on some of your faces, like they're just like, what's, what's the ending? Like, how, how does it all end? And you talk about a, a shocking ending for those in the crowd. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Huh? You mean to tell me the guy who thought he had plenty of time won't make it through the night? Yeah, because Coelith told you there's not enough money in the world, there's not enough barns filled with grain in the world to keep tragedy from happening. There's not enough money in the world to keep you from death. You mean the guy that accumulated everything is about to lose everything? Yes, because money can't stop that from happening. Do, do you see what I'm trying to say? What I'm trying to say is Jesus has just said the same thing as Coelith. But then he gives an application that's radically different. And I'm going to submit to you, it is the only way you will find meaning. Look at verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What if there was a different economy? What if there was a different currency? What if there was a different security that you could have rather than barns filled with grain? What if rather than being rich in this world, you could be rich in another? In other words, what, what Coelith is saying is money can't bring meaning, so live for the now. What Jesus is saying is money can't bring meaning, so you'd better live now for eternity. Lay up treasures in heaven. Be rich in God. That's how you find meaning. You know why? Because that currency won't end. That economy won't collapse. That money will never be taken away because it's not a possession. It's a person who lives forever. I'm serious. I appreciate the applause, but I'm not after the applause. I'm after your heart. I want you to have meaning in life. And it doesn't come from American currency. It doesn't. It comes from a kingdom currency. Of being rich somewhere else than here. Rich in the things of God. And you say, but, but, but if I were to surrender myself to that, like, how would I feel secure tomorrow? I'm serious. How would I feel secure? Do you want security? I'll give you security. Look at verse 32 of chapter 12. 
Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's security. Here's what I mean. How about instead of living for a stock market that's up one day and down the next, what if you found your security in Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Amen. Preach, preacher. Come on. Let's go. Right? What if instead of finding a guarantee that you are taken care of in cash, what if you found that guarantee in a cross? What if the cross was a guarantee that you have a heavenly Father that will take care of you far much more than any other person, any other institution in this world? Fear not, little flock. What are you afraid of? What are you anxious about? It is your Father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. That and that alone is the only way you will find meaning. I want to end with this. I want to end with this. And I know when I say five, you're going to be like, five? We don't have 30 more minutes, right? I want to give you five things. I just want you to write them down and then I'm done. Five things I really want you to think about as it relates to your life and possessions. If you get this, you're going to get it. Man, you're going to get it. Number one is that God must be your treasure. More than anything else, more than anything else, God must be your treasure. And I would submit to you that this is what it means to be a Christian. That you want God more than anything else in life. If that's not the case, I don't have any biblical authority from which to say that you're a child of God. A Christian treasures God ultimately. And maybe some of you are here today, some of you at Lakeville, some of you in the venue, maybe some of you are here and you're saying, I'm not a Christian. I don't treasure God. Like I'm living for this world and Jesus is the insurance policy. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I have forsaken this world and He is the treasure of my heart. If you don't start there, none of this other stuff's going to happen. Number two, generosity has got to be a practice. That is, you're looking for daily, weekly, big, and small ways to just be a blessing. Here's why I say that's got to be a part of your life. Right here, right here, right here. No generosity is a sign of slavery. Do you see what I'm saying? You're not willing to bless others because you want to keep it all for yourself. And so if you're going to be tapped into kingdom thinking, generosity has got to be a part of your practice. Number three, gospel goals have got to be in your plans. What I mean here is just as you plan for a vacation, just as you plan for how much you want to save in 2017, you also need to sit down and think, what type of gospel impact do I want to make? What kids do I want to invest in? What missions do I want to invest in? What do I, how do I want to channel what God has given me for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self? You've got to be intentional about that. Number four. Is gratitude has got to be a daily worship. Gratitude has got to be a daily worship because here's the reality. You know what the gospel of grace means for us? God doesn't owe us a dime. You don't even deserve to live, much less, much less have anything in life. But what God has graciously, and what's the essence of grace? He's given you what you do not deserve. So you wake up every day going, oh, This is amazing! I got a bed! And there's a car in the driveway, a home with furniture. 
God is good. You gotta live with that kind of amazement and wonder and awe at God's grace. Otherwise, you're gonna be enslaved to what you have. But when you realize it's totally a, a gift of, of, of worship to God to say, Thank you for what you've given me, whether that's a lot or a little in your estimation, it's still a gift of grace. Amen? Well, I'll just say this quickly entitlement is the enemy of grace. I'll leave that there. Number five, number five, and lastly, and this is big, now you can enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Hear me, hear me. Enjoy your vacations. Enjoy your vehicles. Enjoy your home. And whatever it is that you have, you're not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty for anything that people have. Enjoy that as the gifts of God only if He is your treasure generosity is your practice, you have gospel goals, and you are daily grateful for what God has given you. When those things are in place, then whatever God has given you, you can sit back and say, and I will eat, and I will drink to the glory of God. Amen? Faith family, please, please find your security in God. I want you to be rich in God by finding the treasure of your heart in God. Because that is a treasure that will not grow old, a treasure that will never fade. Right here, we're done. When you understand all that God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ, you will not need, like Alex, to go buy a lotto ticket. Because you've already hit the jackpot. It is your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. And all God's people said, hallelujah, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for your word to us. Um, I pray uh, for each person here that they would know where their treasure is today, that the Holy Spirit would so shine that on our hearts that we would know the treasure of our heart, that we would know it. And if it's not God, if we're not rich in Him, if we don't desire Him more than other things, I pray that you just break us. I pray that others you would bring to repentance and faith, that they would truly be your children. Others who greed has just been so sneaky. And I just pray that you would cut that away by your Spirit and we would see clearly again who and what we live for as the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen.